It's good to be with you this evening. My pleasure. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. I want to continue looking at our passage and have been uh, profoundly uh, impacted and uh, stretched by uh, the truth of what's presented here. And uh, I'm reminded of, uh, I've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, I've never read them and everyone I've talked to just raves about them. And uh, children's books, I'm a little late. But uh, there's this part in the second book uh, there, the books contain four main characters, well, at least so far. And the third one, two of them have dropped out apparently, although I'm not sure if they're going to come back. But there's basically four main characters. There's Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan. And uh, Lucy has this, this, she was the first one in Narnia to discover Narnia. And she comes in and she meets Aslan, who's this lion, who's the king, and he's the Christ figure in the book. And... Uh, just amazing. And it is Christ himself presented from the author. And uh, first book, come in, have an adventure in Narnia, and they spend their life there. They come back, and when they leave Narnia, I mean, you know, their whole life was spent in Narnia, but they come back, and they're the same age they were as kids. And so sometime later, they get pulled back into Narnia, and uh, Lucy, uh, she sees Aslan, and a number of events uh, transpire to bring her to that point. And she sees him, and she, she, she just tackles him and they roll together on the ground and, and he licks her nose and, and she buries her face in his mane and she sits, she sits back and she gasps at him and she says, wow, you're so much bigger. And uh, Aslan says, no, you've just grown. And uh, I'm growing and he's becoming bigger. Uh, and the, the, the level of intimacy that he desires is so far more reaching. It's, it's, it's so more intimate than I ever thought it could be. And this passage is a direct result of that, uh, of that, uh, that knowledge or that journey or that growing that's taking place in my life. And of course, I was profoundly struck by um, our song evangelist and, and uh, the passage she read, and I'm not sure if we heard it, and it's profound. Uh, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so by uh, did this by two unchangeable things, which is in, uh, so that which by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us uh, may be greatly encouraged. Now, this, this is the point. Verse 19. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. <laughs> where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And uh, the scriptures continually point to, there is this almost casualness by which we're allowed to approach Him. And I want to continue in our passage this evening and study it with you. Again, we've been looking at John chapter 5, and the first 15 verses is really the record, or it's the story that's presented to us, and, and Jesus approaches, and he, he moves into the temple area, uh, over by the sheep gate, in the sheep gate, and uh, by the pool of Bethesda. He's intersected a man's life there, uh, who's been overlooked and had... Uh, had a lifetime of trouble, and he's an invalid, been that way for 38 years. He's, he's by this pool. All his hopes are cast on getting into this water while it's being stirred so that it can be healed. Jesus does not uh, overlook him. 
And the language there is incredible. And uh, uh, that describes Jesus' interest in him. It says that he, uh, back, if you look at that back in verse uh, 6, it says when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. The word there, learned, is from the word to know. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same word where we get our word to know. And know, there's two different words for knowing, actually a few, but two different main words for knowing. There's oida and there's gynosko. Oida is a general knowledge. And gynosko is a knowledge gained by personal experience or personal involvement. And that's the word used here. And it's in the active voice, which means Jesus, in knowing this man, it was not just common knowledge to Jesus, but that he knew about this man's circumstance. Get this. He knew about this man's uh, circumstance because he actively, personally got involved with this man's circumstance. Uh, he sought him out. He got to know him. He had personal involvement with this guy. And you see that his life, this man's life is radically changed because of that. And of course, as the story moves on, uh, the Jews obviously catch wind of this. And Jesus is identified as the one who has done the miracle. And they're upset. And the language that Jesus is using here is so foreign to them, you understand. But, and we understand that they're not, intimate, uh, they're not uh, uh, innocent of, uh, of guilt or of sin. And that they're using, their, they're using the law as a tool to put people in slavery and, and in bondage. And they live life by rules. They're not interested in intimacy with God. But even from an old covenant perspective... You understand the language that Jesus is using is so foreign to them. And the things that he's talking about. And again in verse 19, as this builds to a head, and he really begins to talk uh, in length about uh, this, this, what took place in the temple. Verse 19, he's, he's talking about what the son does, the father does. And last night we looked at the poieto concept, or that word that we translate do or does. And the idea is, is that what makes Jesus do what he does... See, the motivation that's going on inside of him, what compels him to do what he does, compels the Father to do what he does. What's going on in the Father is going on in him. See, what motivates the Father motivates him. See, the same reason that Jesus ran across and got to know, personally involved in that man's life, was, it was the motivation, the reason behind that, is the re- reason residing in God himself. So the language he's using here is so powerful. Well, I want to look with you tonight at the next verse, which is verse 20, and he continues on this subject. He continues to explain this. And uh, this is what verse 20 says. He says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. And the last half of that verse, uh, I don't like the the structure. It's translated better, I think, in the New King James, where it's translated something to the effect, uh, And the Father will show Him even greater things than these, and you will be amazed. The impact of that, it builds almost that there's going to be such a revelation between the Father and the Son that you're going to stand there with your mouth drooped open, gaping at the the awe-inspiring revelation that's taking place between the Father and the Son. And I want to look at that with you this evening. And again, the language that Jesus is using here, it's not, a, it's not a in, impersonal or a, even a formal, you understand, which is radical. It's not a formal relationship. It's, it's a casual almost, it, the way he talks about his father. It's, uh, and and you, this is reminiscent of the language that Paul uses uh, throughout the New Testament when he calls God Abba. And of course, that's daddy, <laughs> That's pop type of thing. That, that's that kind of language that Jesus is using. They ask him, why are you doing that? And he says, oh, dad does that. <laughs> you know how dad is. 
That's how he talks in this whole circuit. That's how he talks in this. And they're irate at that kind of thing. Because it's suggesting familiarity between a father and a son type of language. Um, wouldn't it be something to have a familiarity between you and God? Um, you don't know me or my family. Uh, I mean, you know me here, but you really don't know me until you live in my fifth with me. And that's never going to happen. So, uh, but uh, my, I, I come from a long line of Bullocks. And uh, we're all tall and lanky. And uh, uh, I'm a spitting image of my dad, Joe Bullock. He's no longer living. But uh, my mom shows me pictures of him in high school. And at his funeral, I saw ants that I'd never seen before. The Bullock family is very uh, distant and fragmented. And uh, they seem to come together on crucial events and tragic circumstances. Well, on my father's funeral, uh, my aunt Beverly, California, never met her. I met her last time I was like four, so I don't remember. But uh, she came from California and... uh, she comes up to me and she's just staring and she, she grabs me and she goes, Joe. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, not Joe. And she's like, no, you look just like Joe. And I said, poor guy. She laughed and we cracked jokes. But I get that. And um, when I got out of the Marine Corps and I went to get a job, I moved back from California to Indiana and just had to get as far away from California as I possibly could. And I went to get a job where my dad retired, worked 25 years at uh, UPS and they had moved buildings and had part new staff and moved all the way across the other side of town, never been there. But uh, I went in to apply there just because I knew they were hiring college students. And so I went in to apply, and this little old lady comes out. And I found out later she'd been working for UPS like 50 years, and uh, literally. And I walk in, and uh, I, she comes up to the counter, and she looks at me, and I said, I'm looking for an application. And she'd never seen me before, and she goes, you're Joe Bullock's son. <laughs> I thought, ah, yeah, that is scary. That's really scary. And uh, my mom has said that to me all the time. She says things all, you sound just like your dad. And uh, I'm the product of my dad. I, I use my hands when I talk like my dad. I have the same sense of humor that my dad does. Uh, when my beard grows, it grows red, just like my dad's. I don't know why. But we, I had the, I, I'm plucked from the same gene pool, you understand. There's a familiarity there. We have the same kind of laugh. We cock our head the same kind of way. We, see, there's that kind. That's, you understand, that's the kind of language that Jesus is using to explain his relationship with God. Which is phenomenal. And you understand, that moves so far beyond, so far beyond the realm of maybe how we interact with him on a daily basis. And that's, that, that is cemented throughout the New Testament over and over and over in the language that we literally walk boldly in the presence of God, you understand. And there's a relationship there and there's an intimacy there, you understand. See, when I go home to my mother's house, I, I, I act different. I'm one of the family. I have, a, I have the code to the garage and I walk in and I walk up to the refrigerator and I get the glass of soda like, like, I, like I own the place. And I walk in, I sit in the sofa, and I turn on the television to watch the Pacers play. And by the way, they're beating the Lakers tonight. And uh, I, see, that's, I'm, my mom comes home, and she says, hi, Jeremiah. And that's, that's a right, you understand. I, I'm casual. There's, this, there's, a, there's an intimacy that's shared. That's, you see, there's a familiarity there. This is profound. This is the way that Jesus is trying to describe uh, to the Pharisees the intimacy that not only he has with the Father, but you and I have with the Father as well. Now, I want to talk to you about some language in the passage, and I want to make clear some of the language by contrasting it with other kind of language. Sounds really sounds complicated, but it's really not that complicated. And it's only one verse, so we'll get out here relatively quickly. But 
I want to share this with you. Verse 1, powerful verse. Actually, it's verse 20. It's, the, it's what we'll look at tonight. This is how it reads. It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he'll show him even greater things than these. Uh, it says, For the Father loves the Son. Um, pretty standard throughout the New Testament. Um, every time, and this is remarkable, whenever you find language that is really unique in the New Testament, uh, you oftentimes uh, fix in and lock in on that. You, kind of, you understand? Does that make sense? When you use new, new language and, and, and there's something that's, that's really out of the ordinary, it draws your attention and it, it, you, you want to take notice of this. Well, throughout the New Testament, the standard, I mean, it's foundational, it's not questionable. This is what we're talking about in terms of the Father's uh, love, God's love for mankind, the Father's love for, his, uh, for those in the kingdom, the Father's love for Jesus is always agape. Okay? It's always agape love, except for one time. Okay? Except for one time. It's always agape love. Now, agape love, to explain this to you, and we really need to look at this just briefly, agape love is a covenant love. And the best way it's explained from a Christian perspective, from the Christian writers, is it's a type of love that's based normally uh, from a higher to a lower. In other words, there's no expectations uh, when this love is given. Okay? Uh, it, it, there, it's not even, you can't even say that it's deserved, a type of love. You're not looking to receive anything back when this type of love is given. And it's the kind of love that, again, is expressed between God and man. Now, an example of this is given uh, in terms of covenant love, uh, in terms of our understanding of marriage. Okay? Covenants were really, really huge, and agape is understood as a covenant love. If you want to talk about covenants in the Old Testament, uh, everyone in, in this day and age, in Jesus' day and age, would understand that. Covenants were remarkable. Um, for instance, two people would, would make a covenant, and uh, one, one would stand, they would stand apart from each other, a ways, not very far, within speaking distance, of course, maybe 10 feet, and they would sacrifice an animal. Sometimes it was a bull, depending on the depth of the covenant and the, and the wealth of the people covenanting, but there would be this, this bull that would be sacrificed in half, wham, cut in half and laid there, laid between the two covenant partners. And, of course, it was very ceremonial, and there would be a banquet and all these kinds of things. But during the covenant, uh, the actual covenant action, there was a number of things that took place. For instance, the first thing normally that would take place is there would be prayer, and there would be these statements that were made. Some of the statements were, for instance, um, involved exchanging things between the covenant partners. Okay? One of the things that was exchanged was a belt. They would literally walk in the midst of this sacrificed animal, which was just... Horrible on your shoes. But they would walk in the midst of the sacrifice animal. They would take off their belts and they would exchange them. Put on each other's belts and then they would walk back. And that was symbolic. It was a symbolic that my strength is now your strength. And your strength is now my strength. Then they would walk back in the midst of the coven, uh, the sacrificed animal. And they would exchange. Uh, uh, one of the things that was exchanged would be a sword. And so they would exchange a sword and they would walk back and it was a symbol that my enemies are now your enemies and your enemies are now my enemies. And then there was an exchanging of, of robes which has to do with my identity is now given to you and your identity is given to me. There was an exchanging of names. Oftentimes the covenant partakers would have their names intermixed. And this is all reminiscent of the covenant that God made with Abram. You understand when God made a covenant with Abram their names were changed. Abram's to Abraham and God's as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, every time you meet God throughout the entire Old Testament, who is he? Oh, I'm the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
See, he is linked to him. This is un- you don't back out on this kind of thing. And the idea was, if you ever broke the covenant, you became like the sacrificed animal. So that was the concept. So it was not, you understand, it was not uh, temporary. It was not, you couldn't back out on this. There was no prenups on this kind of thing. This was a covenant. Which you understand is, is, is exempt, it's an example of this in our day would be marriage. That is a covenant. It is not a covenant that is made between a man and a woman. It is a covenant made with a man and a woman to God. Uh, I'm ordained, so I'm allowed to do marriages. And... Uh, I don't allow any of the writing of the vows in the ceremonies that I conduct. Hey, you want to do that? That's fine. You can do that. But oftentimes I've found there get changed to, I love you, you know, and I'm going to do this forever, and I'm going to love you, and it's going to be great, and uh, here's the prenup sign there, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, which changes the whole concept of marriage. See, when I stood before my wife and said, I will love you in sickness and better and all those things, can't remember, but I said them. And when I said those kind of things, see, I didn't, I didn't promise those to my wife. I covenanted with her and I said those things before God. That, that's that's the, the glue there. That's the understanding. And the witnesses that were there, I had no idea of this at the time. I thought they were just there to get, you know, give presents. I invited as many as I could. And, but the idea was, is they are witnesses to the covenant. That way, if I ever leave my wife, I will have 250 people banging on my fifth wheel saying, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, in 1998, May, you stood before your wife and you stood before God and covenanted with her in Him and said, God, I will do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. I just want to let you know that, Jeremiah. Did, did you say that? Was that you who said that? And they are witnesses to that covenant event. Does that make sense? So agape love is a binding love, you understand. It has nothing to do with what if my wife does not love me. See, it is not based on what if she's not as good a wife that I've wanted her to be. See, it has nothing to do with that. It's not no emotions involved in this thing. It is a covenant, sacrificial, higher to a lower, nothing in return type of love. It is a concrete agape love. That's the idea. Okay? Now that's powerful and that's always used, praise God, always used on our behalf in terms of God and me. God always keeps the covenant, which is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And we had fun with this in our uh, biblical classes at Olivet. I don't you know what you studied on this, but uh, our professor used to laugh, Bob Branson. And he would always say, and God always keeps the covenant. Because what would happen is keeping the covenant oftentimes meant pounding on Israel. And so they didn't want God to keep the covenant, but he always kept the covenant. That was the joke. We didn't laugh either, but it sunk in later on. But uh, you see, the idea is, is that God has covenanted with you. You understand that? You cannot get away from Him. You can't shake Him off. Uh, he has swore by an oath. You understand? Uh, he, he is compelled with who He is and the love that He has for us. He has linked with us, which is powerful. And we don't want to take away from that. But I was really intrigued. That's the word that's always used. It's the standard without exception in the New Testament when you talk about God's love for Jesus or God's love for us, God's love for the world. That's the idea. For God so loved the world, agape love. That's how it's talked about. And then I began to study this passage and it uses a love here that does not get used anywhere else in the New Testament besides here and in John chapter 17. And in here, it has to do with Jesus, God's love for Jesus. And in chapter 17, it has to do with God's love for us. And it's the only place in the New Testament where it's used. And the word is phileo. 
Okay? The word is phileo, which is, does not take away from agape love. doesn't say that agape love is not there, but the emphasis here is on phileo, which is brotherly love or a love between a father and a son. It is an intimacy kind of love. It's highly emotional. It has emotions tied to it. It has like a heartbeat to it, if that makes sense. And this is the love. Now again, doesn't this just fit in the passage with the language that he's using and, the, and the, how he's talking to God? See, the father just does not agape the son. Hey, they would have agreed with that. But he says, you understand, it's not that God loves me. He really, really loves me. See, he likes me. <laughs> it's the kind of love that's not, you know, uh, how do I explain this? Um, I don't have children. I have a dog. But uh, I've seen in the church, I've seen in the church children playing. And uh, you have a group of parents over here, okay? And they're watching the kids playing over here. And uh, one of them will fall. And there will be a number of different reactions, okay? To uh, just someone who's in the church, who knows the child, agape loves the child, is invested into their life, is the demonstration of Jesus to them. You make us think about that kind of stuff, you understand. A fellow kingdom member, I mean, someone that they're mentoring, example to, uh, passionately love and care about, those kinds of things. They react in a certain way. And it's normally with, ooh, oh, are they okay? And, and they kind of stand up slowly and they begin to walk over there and, and, they're, and they're interested. If it's not the parent and the parent's not around, they pick it up. Uh, it. <laughs> they pick her or him up and they, they dust him off and they pat him and, hey, where's mom? Those kinds of words, okay, which is extremely appropriate. Then there's the other response. And it's from a mom or a dad. And the little one's running across, trips and falls and slaps its head on the floor. And it happens to be at a, 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 at a, at a gathering time where we have some food and we have some little plate of food and the plate of food's on, on dad's lap and, and the drink's in his hand and he's talking with the pastor and they're hanging out doing the things that they do there at the fellowship hall. And as soon as his child falls down, it's, he doesn't think about it. Uh, he cannot control it. He stands up immediately. The food goes flying off of his lap. Before he can even think about it, he's 15 steps over to see his son. His heart is beating. His heart is racing. And there is something urgent that's taking place. It shuts down everything else in his life. And he is attached, you understand. There's something going on with that. And it's his son. And he races and he embraces. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know how to describe that. I have a tremendous love for my wife. And... uh, goes to the core of who I am. I cannot imagine looking at my daughter or son someday and seeing my eyes and her nose and, and her fingers and, and yet my palms maybe and, and her skin tone and my hair and, you know, and just the, the little, you know, it's me. I mean, it, it's a spitting image. It looks just like me, acts just like me and, and talks just like her. And, and, it, and imagine the tie. There between does that make sense? There, there is a connection there. There is an intimacy that is shared. That you see, it's beyond just agape. It's not my son falls out of a tree and I think, well, better go check him out. <laughs> I love him. I got to do the right thing. I want to work on his behalf. I'll go out and see if he's okay. See, it's not it's not that kind of a thing. I've seen this kind of thing happen. Parents go psycho when their kids get hurt. And rightfully so. They can't control that. They can't contain that. There's, there's almost an hysteria. You with me? There's almost an hysteria about that kind of a thing. This, get this now, this is the kind of love that, that Jesus is talking about between the Father and the Son. Are you with me? 
This is the kind of intimacy. This is the kind of relationship. You understand? It's not this formal. It's not this, this structured. It's not this, when I pray, I've got to say, oh, Heavenly Father, and I have to ask in Jesus. Not that kind of stuff. It's I come in prayer and I say, well, you wouldn't believe the day that I had. You, know, and you were there and you saw her. Boy, she really deserved one. Could you help? Okay. And, and you're talking and there's intimacy and, and he knows you by name and you know him. And, and that, that's the relationship. That's what he's talking about here. There's a fillet, which is not used, you understand, anywhere else in the New Testament. There is a tightness that is expressed here that is between a father and a son. There is an intimacy that's going on there. Now, what's phenomenal is, is this is the standard of the new covenant. Now, I want you to catch this. Are you with me? Listen to this. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says, In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father Himself, that's emphatic, the Father, Father Himself loves you. And guess what that word is? Phileo. That, in John chapter 5, is the only place in the entire New Testament where that kind of love between the Father and us is expressed. That it's a heartbeat kind of love. Which explains all kinds of things in our life, you understand. And, uh, and again, I don't expect you to turn here. But this, uh, the Hebrews passage, where it talks about God disciplines His sons. And the language that Jesus constantly uses throughout the New Testament. And He constantly compares God as with your father. Hey, your father, would, if you were hungry, wouldn't give you a stone. Uh, give you a snake, those kinds of things. Hey, why would your heavenly father do that kind of stuff? That He cares about us. And it changes our whole perspective. Uh, th- this radically, radically shaped my idea of judgment, which we're going to get to this week. That judgment is never the idea of God just waiting to flick me into the abyss, that if I don't measure up, He's going to exclude me. That somehow it's a father who is, man, He's on His son's side. He's pulling for Him. There's no one pulling for the son like the father, you understand. There's no one like that. And he's standing before you saying, oh, you can make it. I want you to succeed. It's not this, the son rebels and falls flat on his face and the father says, that's it, I've had enough. It's not that kind of a thing. It's the father that's standing there that's waiting for his lost son to come home and he pulls up his, his uh, girds his loins and he flies out there and he braces and he, eh, the fatted calf deal. And That's the picture that you're getting here. Now, within that picture of the father that loves the son, he goes on and listen to what he says. It's amazing. For the father loves the son and shows him... All he does. The idea here of show has to do with reveal, has to do with walk alongside and point it out type of stuff. It shows him all he does. Now, uh, what immediately came to my mind was the idea of uh, my dad and I when we would go cut, cut wood. I don't know if you've ever used a chainsaw or anything like that, but uh, you've got to be careful. Um, yeah, you've used chainsaws. Come home without a leg, not good. And uh, so my father, you know, he showed you how to, how to stand and how to hold it. And it, when you use a maul, you know, there's a certain way to put it in the wood and, and how to angle it so you don't get the maul stuck in the middle of the, of the wood. And, and we would go out and he would show me this. And oftentimes he would stand over there and say, now watch me. And then he would do it. And then he would put his arm around me and, and he would hold the chainsaw and we would work together. And there was, there was a showing that was taking place, which, understand, makes perfect sense in their day and age. Because a lot of the, uh, most of the time, the majority of the time, that whatever the father's occupation was would be what the son's occupation was. See, if the father was a carpenter, nine times out of ten, you're going to be a carpenter. 
And the father would take his boy as a young age and bring him into the carpenter shop and walk him through that kind of stuff. And, and literally, uh, the parents would move in with the children and they would live in the same house of generation after generation, carrying on the same business. That was the idea. And that's what I was thinking that was taking place, that the things that was taking place in Jesus' life were all the things that God was showing him. But I'd missed it. You see, it was a little bit bigger than that. It says, the father shows him all that he does. Well, the word does there is not the word prosso. Not an action that's done. If you remember this on last night. See, he just doesn't say, son, stand over there and watch how I do it. But it's the father shows him all that he poeos. Which means the father reveals to the son all of the inside internal motivations of his heart. So that when the father does something, you understand there's an intimacy and a relationship with the son that he literally shows him the reason behind the internal motivations of his heart that Jesus, now get this now, Jesus literally, this is amazing, Jesus literally gets into the eyes of his father and sees his world the way he does. His heart begins to beat the way his father hearts beat. There is a passion that begins to be kindled into the son that is kindled into the father. This makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm pretty awestruck sometimes. Uh, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I, I'm not a prophet. I don't have any spiritual insight uh, above any of you. Um, but nine times out of ten, I can tell what a dad is passionate about by looking at their boy. Nine times out of ten. You may think I'm ridiculous, but I'm telling you. Um, Psychologists tell us this is. A, I talked to a psychologist uh, uh, recently who set me down and commented on this study, and she said eighty-five percent. Get this. That's a huge number. Eighty-five percent of the time, if a woman is married to a man that abuses her, their daughter will marry a man who will abuse her. Eighty-five percent of the time, and we stand back and say, "Well, why in the world?" Would she do that? Oh, she, mom taught her. What do you mean? Mom says, okay, this is how you act when your husband comes home and you nag him when he hits you, that you do this, and then you always bicker. And Is that what you're talking about? No. The internal drive that is going on in mom and dad is something kids are going to do. If you control your wife, guess what your kids are going to do? They're going to do the same thing, man. I'm telling you. I've seen it a hundred times. I can tell you. I've been to youth retreats. You... I can tell you. I can tell you nine times out of ten which teenage girl has dad in her life and which teenage girl does not have dad in her life. I can, I can spot it a mile away. It has to do with the way they dress, the way they talk, the way they relate with guys. I mean, it is so evident. You can spot it a mile away. How is that? Taught her. Dad taught her that. Uh, I was at a revival in uh, Pekin, Illinois and uh, a couple years ago overwhelmed me uh, talking with this guy in between Sunday school and church and uh, he's waiting for the classes to come out and all the classes are coming out and this group of little girls like three come flying out and they're all yelling and doing little things that three year old girls do and they're all running and meeting their parents and right in the middle of them this little girl stops dead in her tracks and looks at this man I put together that, that was dad and she looks at him and she's so cute and uh he puts his hands on his hips and he kind of looks around 
He acts like he doesn't see her. And he goes, where's the most beautiful girl in the world? And she takes her hand and she raises it up like that. He's teaching her. He's teaching her. And you understand the intimacy. See, the intimacy that God is talking about that we can have with Him is a father and a son type relationship. That it's, it's not formal, you understand. It's not I show up to church and I see Him in His Sunday best and I, wow, look how great He looks and isn't He a good speaker and He teaches me and I grow. It's not that kind of a setting. It's father and son. See, we know Pastor Charlie and we know him a little bit. But you understand, his daughter really knows him. See, she sees him when he gets up in the morning and he's got his shorts on and his white t-shirt and his hair is a mess. He hasn't showered yet and he gets a cup of coffee and he sits down in his favorite chair. I've seen it. And he turns on his, he turns on his remote control. She sees him when he's stressed about finances. She sees mom and dad when they're tense and when there's arguments and when there's pressure. She sees them and how they relate with the pain of their daughters and, and their sons and, and the other situations and school bills. And see, she sees them in that kind of setting. That's the setting. God is inviting you, you understand, behind the curtain. (laughs) He's saying, come and live in my fifth wheel, man. Come and watch me now interact with my wife. See, come and look at the internal motivations of what makes me tick. I want you to see that. He's so vulnerable. And John talks about this in in his epistle, 1 John. He says, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. There's no hiding. He says, seek me and know me. I'm telling you, just come and find me. None of us are like that. I know my, I've been married to my wife eight years, and I learn more about her all the time. And I'm so insecure still in our relationship. And there's some things that I still feel uncomfortable talking with her about. See, that's and I, what I'm finding is you have that forever. He doesn't have that. He says, wherever you want to look. Hey, you want to come at 5 o'clock in the morning? Hey. You want to see me when I get woke up with a telemarketer? Hey. You want to see me on how I react when my day goes terrible and I'm in the fifth wheel and my computer goes down and I'm trying to work the CD program and there's a trip to the Philippines that we can't and there's this and there's that. He, he invites you into the bedroom of his life. He lets you see him with his hair down and there's no makeup on. See, that's, that's the relationship. I mean, the depth of intimacy that he's trying to talk to, you will stand and be amazed. You stand and be amazed. Jesus goes, the things that the Father is going to reveal the Son, oh, you won't believe it. You will stand with your mouth gaping open going, I don't believe it. But there is a level of intimacy that is available to us, which is so awesome because we respond with that with, well, here's my 10%. Oh, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come every Sunday. And I won't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I won't lie or steal. I won't have sex before marriage. In our relationship, great. Jesus, over and over and over, says to his disciples, many on that day are going to say, Lord, look at all the stuff I did for you. I healed, I preached, I taught, I proclaimed, cast out demons, came to church every Sunday. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You were never in my fifth wheel. See, you never, you never saw me. You never walked with me with your hair down. See, there was never an intimacy that we shared. There was, there was never a tightness, you understand. That there is an intimacy that is shared with the Father and the Son. That there is a showing that literally what makes the Father tick makes the Son tick. Where You become a spitting image of Him, you understand. Mm. Wouldn't it be something else if you were just a spitting image of your Father? 
Are you a spitting image of Jesus? Are you a spitting image of him? See, how could I go to, how could I have a job and work there for 40 years and no one know that I'm just burning madly in love with my father? How could that be so? Really, how could that be so? You're going to know a tree by its fruit. You put a bunch of bullocks together and you're going to say, yep, he's a bullock. You're going to put me next to my mother and you'll say, wow, I look just alike. Me and my sisters, we look just alike. Do you look like that? Do you look like him? Are you tight with him? Please don't, don't show me your church attendance. Don't talk to me about being saved and sanctified. I could care less whether you're on the board. Unless you're going to have me back for revival. I don't, uh, I'm not really interested in how much money you make and how much money you give to the church. See, how do you describe your relationship with him? Are you tight with him? Do you live with him throughout the day? Does he get on your computer screen? Does he surf the sites that you surf? Does he watch the TV shows that you watch? See, I, don't, I never interact with my mother in a rules-type relationship. It's mom. I know what she likes. See, we go home. I don't have to say, well, you want to go out to eat? What's proper eating? Okay, first of all, I can't be a glutton, and uh, we have to eat proper. And See, <laughs> I know what she likes. Mom, let's go get some pizza. I don't even have to ask her. I plan it in advance. Wouldn't that be phenomenal if you came to church on Sunday and you said, oh, I know what he likes. I know what he likes. And our conversations throughout the day, oh, he's going to be tickled pink about that. And I walk out of a movie theater saying, oh, did you love that? I read the books that he reads. I listen to the jokes that he laughs at. The things that he thinks funny, I just think are hilarious. The things that appall him, I, they just appall me. Why is that? Well, we're tight, man. We're tight. See, we walk together. See, can you, is that your Christian life? Is that, what, is, is that how you live on a day-to-day basis? It's so easy to fall short of that. It is so easy to get locked up into, I come to church on Sunday. And the priority, you know, see, the priorities of God have got to be the, my priorities in my life. See, what, what if my priorities were not His priorities? What if I wasn't running where He was running? See, what if church was me, was just building? I come to on Sunday. Boy, it'd be great if people got saved. But the mission of the kingdom was not in my heart. That it didn't keep me up at night. That my job fell into the scope of, hey, raising my kids, putting a roof over my house, retiring by 60, and, and hey, it, it help, it, making a good amount of money, and it's safe, and... What if, what if I got into, my, got into my job and began to look through his eyes and, and begin to see my world? He began to reveal himself and his plan. And I began to see my job in a whole different world. That there was a kingdom focus going on. See, Jesus comes back into the temple in John chapter 15 and no one sees like he sees. There's a man who's been there for 38 years. He was common knowledge. Everyone knows about him. Everyone knows about him. But Jesus gynoscos him. He's personally involved with him. His heart beats for him. And he embraces the guy. He, he heals him. And, oh, and you say, and the Jews say, how in the world could you do that? He says, because my dad was doing. 
You should recognize that. And they say, who's your dad? Well, you don't know him. Because if, if you knew him, you'd know me. If you, if you recognize me, oh, it tells me you know him. Because we're a spitting image. I am profoundly impressed and cut and brought back to reality. In John chapter 5, verse 20. Because this thing is so much bigger than what I thought it was. That there's somehow, there's a tightness that I share with Him. That what He does, I do. What drives Him, drives me. And we're tight. We're not formal. I don't know where, he's, I don't know where you're going tonight, but He's coming with me. And we're going to watch TV, and I'm going to unwind, and I'm going to call my wife. And I'm going to sit in my recliner, and I'm going to check my email. We're going to hang. And we don't even need to speak. We're just, hey... And I, he's bringing me more and more and more into his perspective. And you begin to see churches the way that he sees them. And you begin to see people in the church the way that he sees them. And your opinions fall aside. And, and he becomes bigger and he becomes focused. And We've got to come back to that, folks. Are you living tight like that? And if you're not, does it bother you? Is if you're not living tight like that and it doesn't bother you, my, 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 my. Come and get saved. I mean, come and really know Him. Come and be tight with Him. Father, I love you this evening. I am blown away at the language that your son used. He talked about you like you were so tight with Him. He talked about you like He knew what you would say before you would say it. Jesus, I look at my, uh, my next door neighbors who are my godparents. They've been married for 60 years. He knows what she is thinking without her even saying it. He can read her a glance on her face the way that she carries herself there is an intimacy and a tightness that is shared there Jesus could we be that tight could you bring me beyond the checklist rules of my Christian life to the very discernment of knowing you as my father that, we're t- that we can be tight enough where I just I know how you would respond. I know how you would talk. I know what you think about that conversation. I know what you think about that attitude. I know what you think about that thought going through my head. That TV show that I watched. That way that I treated my wife. I want to turn Jesus from anything in my life that does not look like you. I'm sorry for treating you so cheap. I'm sorry for treating you as a ticket to get to heaven. I'm sorry for turning to you to save my own neck. I'm I'm sorry for the only time we really communicate, the only time that I'm really talking with you face to face is when I need something. I don't mean to be that way. Bring us back, pull us. 
Discipline us as you discipline your sons. Put barricades in our life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You want to seek with me tonight on that? I'm not focused on teenagers any more than I am adults. But I've been wondering, teens, if you've been seeking this week. And not so much here at this church, but oftentimes you don't see adults seeking that much at the altar. Don't let that train you. Remain broken. Remain seeking. Remain on your face. You cannot outgrow Jesus. You're never going to get to the point where you're tight enough. He's always going to do things in your life. If He's speaking to you tonight, would you come and seek with me? Would you get out of your chair tonight and say, hey, I want to know you like that. If your if you're Christian walk, whatever you've been taught, if your Christian walk is a list of rules, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, man, come down and meet Him. Come down and get to know Him. Would you just not sit there? And adults, would you demonstrate to your young people what it means to be a seeker after the heart of God? That a seeker does not mean that I just show up to church on Sunday. That you can't keep me away from seeking. That whatever it takes in my life to be stretched and grown, that's what I'm into. I love you tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that our response time this evening would be out of a pure heart. And we'll give you all the praise. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I don't want to pressure you. Most people are satisfied. Most teens are satisfied with their little religion that they have, as well as adults. And I don't want to pressure you. But if you want to seek with me, would you come?